Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Sourceway in Asia, host main channel podcast, and the host of the Sourceway in Asia YouTube channel. Back with another one. This is another one of those episodes where I was featured on somebody else's podcast. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, this dude, James Davis, reached out to me. Apparently, he's been following the the YouTube channel and the podcast for a while now. He's actually an engineer based in the US and he is in he's basically doing what we do but he does the mechanical engineering side of things so he helps people create their prototypes and stuff like that and the name of this podcast is called Lab Hand you can find them on Spotify I'm sure we have a link in the description and what's unique about his podcast is you know the mission is to create a million dollar product for a million people and he's approaching it from aspect of like there aren't that many african american entrepreneurs that are in the mechanical engineering space let alone the mechanical engineering space with a bent towards manufacturing in china so that's why you know he was kind of he wanted me to be on the show and that's why he's been following uh you know the channel and everything so I, yeah i thought it was pretty cool uh, i enjoyed the interview and i thought there was a lot of valuable information and questions exchanged because for an audience that's sort of at the beginning stage of the manufacturing process i thought it was very important and obviously my my focus is on actual you know the actual production whereas his focus is on you know what happens before the production you know the actual designing of the pro- of the product and i mean we do the actual designing of the product as well but we're not the ones who do it we outsource it to you know somebody like a james so if you want to check out his uh his podcast like i said it's going to be linked up on spotify it's called lab hand and without further ado enjoy the podcast i don't want to be a product of my environment i want my environment to be a product of me first just start with telling a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this business so yeah, my name is Rico Ngoma from Toronto, Canada, but was I was originally born in Zambia, Southern Africa. And we moved to the States when I was super young and then eventually to Canada. And I was studying business admin management in, in Toronto and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life because my parents are both entrepreneurs and I, I didn't want to go down the nine to five route. So going down some YouTube blog rabbit holes, I came across a YouTube channel called The Elevator Life. Now it's called Enter China. And there was just basically two dudes from the States, from Oregon, and they're relatively older than me, I guess a couple of years older than me. And they moved to China immediately after college and started various businesses, import-export. They had a wine import company. They'd had a couple successful Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, they had like 100 plus videos on their YouTube channel talking about, you know, their journey. and and I consumed all of those videos in probably like a week or two and by the end i was like you know i'm fuck it i'm gonna go am i allowed to swear right by the end i was like fuck it i'm gonna go to china i have nothing to lose as soon as i graduate like i'll save up some money over the summer and worst case scenario i have to come back and get a job 
best case scenario, like uh, I make it. So, so that was 2014, uh, September. I now, how, came down to China. How old were you when this was going on? Because I, I always, I saw, I see, I watched some of your videos, and it was like 25 year yeah. old entrepreneur. And I was talking to one of my buddies, and I was like, man, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't have been too old when he was first learning this. Yeah. So I was when I came across that YouTube channel, I was 21, okay. and then uh, I moved it when I was 22. Okay. So I, I moved literally the year that I, I finished school. I moved in the after working in the summer full time to save up some money. I moved to China. And I basically went to China on like a student visa. So the idea was that I was going to study Chinese while trying to start some sort of business. But I also joined, Enter China had like a membership group. They still have it, but the structure has changed. I joined that as well. And I taught English for the first year that I was in China. And through the membership group, I got introduced to my business partner, China Mike, who had been sourcing in China since I think like 2009 or something like that. So he had a couple of years experience, uh, not more than a couple of years experience. He had about four or five years experience sourcing. And he was basically looking to like restart the company and our company became a source to Indonesia. So he'd actually shut it down. He was focused on some other stuff. And yeah, that's how we, that's how we got started. Like, you know, he wanted me to be the, he wanted to be like a silent partner and he wanted me to run the business. So that was early, that was April, May, 2015. So you know, just a little bit less than a year after I arrived in China. Wow. Okay. Awesome. No, I just think this is a very interesting business that many people don't know about at all. And that's one of the things that's got me uh, extremely interested in it. What is the average life cycle for a product? So if somebody comes to you, comes to SourceFire, someone comes to SourceFire Asia, what's the average life cycle? So it depends on the product. So there's two main categories of product. And then there's like kind of a blend between the two. One is called OEM. So OEM is like white label, private label. You know, when you, the stuff that you see on Amazon, the most of the stuff that you see on Amazon, the sellers did not design that. They found a supplier, you know, who was making that product and basically bought it and put their, their company logo on the, the packaging, the product. Then there's ODM, which is original design. So that's exactly what it sounds like where you know you have an idea and you take it from and that's this is your field obviously somebody comes to you with an idea and then you help them design it and, and create a prototype and then eventually you move into mass production so like with the oem stuff i mean it could be as simple as buying and like if somebody comes to me and says hey i need you know 500 milliliter water bottles and generic water bottles like i can get that in a day but you know what i mean like it's that's it's really that simple but on average, I would say two to three months, including the research, because we have a whole process that we go through when we're vetting suppliers. Then the production could be anywhere between, like I said, a day or it could be a month, a month and a half. And then shipping, if you're doing an air shipment, like 10 days or less, roughly 10 days, but and sea shipment could be three to four weeks. So two to three months for OEM original design uh, manufacturing that's really again it depends really on how complicated the product is but i would say at least a year probably more like a year and a half from concept to design to prototyping to sampling like a sample run and then mass production sea shipments all that stuff it could be longer i've had clients that 
had projects that took two plus years. I think, I mean, a lot of those situations, the clients came to me and had already been working on the project for six months or so or a year. So a lot of the things that they did maybe took longer because they're doing it themselves. But on average, like our original designs have been a year, a year and a half. Wow. So it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot. Like people don't, people underestimate how long it takes to, to create a new, a new product, you know, from nothing. Cause and the other aspect is it's like, it's not, you're not independent. It's not like you just working by yourself. It's you working with a designer, working with a manufacturing consultant like myself, working with a factory work, you know what I mean? There's so many different, different hands involved that the communication can be slow sometimes. Can, there can be a lot of miscommunication with language barrier with China and, and you know the, the rest of the world and stuff. So that's these are all the things that make it a little bit longer. But if you know what you're doing, or if you can work with somebody that knows what what they're doing, then um, you can sort of expedite that process. Wow. So did you have to learn Chinese? I I mean I'm I'm okay. I I, I say I've got survival Chinese. I think I could have could have been Not better. But I definitely Chinese. I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like I can get around. Like my business partner is extremely fluent. Um, I studied for, I studied for six, almost eight months. So you know I'm okay. With Chinese, it's one of those things. Like you gotta be practicing it a lot because you know everybody's got different accents and it's not a complicated language once you learn the basics. It's mm. just you have to. There's a lot of vocabulary. There's a lot of words. So in that product design so the original design path about i guess it still depends product by product basis but like what's the range of how much it'll cost a uh, entrepreneur who has a product what's the range of how much they could expect to spend so for the original design yes i can't speak on the design aspect because every designer charges is different you know um well, I'm but saying just in the them. whole process, like they come, they come with, they come to you, and they have the designs and everything ready, and they want to uh, get it manufactured. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I'd say from a manufacturing perspective, once you have your designs, do you have a prototype, or you're trying to get the prototype made? Now? That's what uh, they have the prototype. So if they have the prototype and the prototype's ready, the factory would have to replicate that prototype. I would say at minimum, you're looking at 30 plus thousand dollars, like at minimum. And you know, that's because depending on the product, of course, you have to make a mold for people that don't know what a mold is. It's basically most of the time it's in, it's a steel or iron cast that is in the shape of the product. Right. And so, so that, you know, they can replicate the, the product as they're doing the mass production perfectly. And that, is very expensive just because of the amount of material and the time it takes to make those. Um, you can obviously pay for cheaper molds, but then the quality of your final product is going to be compromised. And then the prototypes as well. Prototypes can be really expensive. If you want a prototype that's exactly the same as your product and you have special materials, I'll give you an example. One of our clients right now is making a, it's like a it's like a wallet that's made from like graphite. It, it's not a normal material for such a small product. Right. And I mean, their pro, their prototypes are, you know, one factory quoted as two thousand dollars for the prototype, and you know he was he was surprised, but it was like the reason is because this material is unusual for this product, 
and that means they have to go and buy that graphite and then they have to you know kind of refine it to be able to make the the, the product and it's not it's not a simple process right like so you know you have to take that into consideration is if you have a special design if you have a special material for your product that's not normal that can also make it more expensive in the prototyping phase and molds run you anywhere from three to four to five to ten fifteen thousand dollars and then the mass production is depending on how expensive your product is usually the factories will be pretty they'll be flexible with the mass production quantity but i would still say you're probably going to spend you know thirty thousand dollars at minimum for your first production just real interesting i think that's just good for my viewers to understand how big and how credible of a business this is and it's a lot of money Mm -hmm. to be made but also for on the entrepreneur side is a lot of investment that goes into it. For sure. For sure. That's, I think that's a thing that, I mean, I underestimated it the first time because when I first got to China, my idea was to launch my own product. And, and when I sat down with my business partner at the time, uh, at the time he was just a friend. He, I was kind of telling him what my plans were and then he just broke it down to me. Like, okay, so you're probably looking at X amount for this part. You're looking at X amount for this part of the product. Do you have, you know, funding for this? And I was like, nope. And he was like, you probably want to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out if you can actually afford to make this product. So now that brings me to my next question. Could you elaborate a little bit more on how the crowdfunding works or how getting funding works? Because I've I'm, I'm been in this business for about a year, but maybe a year and a half. But like you say, it takes about a year to launch your first product. So the first prototype, just a prototype I've been working on for one of my clients, I've been, I expect it to be done in four to five months. And lo and behold, it, it's taken a year and it's not easy. You know, I can't disclose what it is because NDAs, but it's not an easy thing to fabricate. Are you making the prototype in China as well? No, I'm making the prototype myself. Okay. Yeah. It's just uh, that you've had to go through multiple iterations, right? Multiple iterations. And it's just a really hard design to kind of a concept to create. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's normal. I think that's one of the things is what people have to, to realize is that the first prototype often isn't good enough and you have to go back to the drawing board and communicate and, and fix and, and, and work on it constantly to, to get it right. With regards to crowdfunding, I would say a good resource for that. I actually just interviewed this um, woman. I don't know. When, when do you think this episode is going to come out? Uh, the one that we're doing? Probably a few days. A few days. Okay. So by the a time... the most. So, so it might be around when this episode comes out or it might be, you know, uh, released a couple of days afterwards. But I interviewed this woman called uh, Nali. I'm not going to say her last name. Nalin. I'm not going to say her last name because I'll butcher it. But uh, she is based in the States and she works in crowdfunding. She's actually a crowdfunding consultant. So she would be a great resource if anyone wants to listen to that uh, Media Channel podcast. How, how, how could, um, oh, I guess I'll just look, look back at your podcast. We can find her information. Yeah, we release on Thursday, so it'll be next week, Thursday. Um, I can also send you um, her website and everything. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, most definitely. I, That'd be greatly appreciated. See if I see if I remember it. Um, let, me, let me see if I could just pull it up real quick. But yeah, I wanted you to have on, I wanted to have you, while you looked at this, I want to have you on the podcast just because 
I was very excited to see another person of color in this field and doing it well, uh, relatively successful. I, mm-hmm. And I didn't, I honestly feel like it's just a little known industry and yep. one that we are lucky to have the uh, knowledge about. My background is engineering. So a lot of people who don't have are in engineering, they don't necessarily have the passion or the technical skills and they don't actively practice them. And my yep. thing was, well, if I'm gonna be an engineer, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually do what I've gone to school for and meld mm-hmm. it with my passion. Nice. Yeah, I was saying I, I agree, man. Um it's always good to see other people that look like you uh in the field. I could probably count on one hand uh, the amount of black entrepreneurs that I met that were doing what I'm doing uh when I was in China. So yeah, it's, it's it's good to see other people come into the space. Um, so yeah, the girl's name is Nalin Chuapecharatsopon. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And her company is called Crush Crowdfunding. So okay. she's a good resource for that. Um, second as well would be EnterChina, like I mentioned. Their program currently is all about crowdfunding. But uh, I mean, generally with the crowdfunding aspect, it depends on which... Uh, marketplace you're using so the two main ones are kickstarter and, and indiegogo with kickstarter they have more requirements so you definitely have to have a prototype in place to launch on kickstarter and then with indiegogo you uh, you don't need to have a prototype you can have like a realistic 3d rendering um, to launch your crowdfunding campaign but i think what's really important is i mean i can't speak too much on the process i can give a few tips here and there obviously you need to like build a fan base have a good landing page collect as many emails as possible probably do some facebook ads and and uh, try to get people to to commit to buying your product prior to launching your campaign and that's just the basics uh, and also obviously if you can get some people if you could get some people to actually use your prototype and review it and maybe get some influencers or or get featured on a on a popular blog related to the product then i think that's that's the move and it just takes a lot of time of sitting around going to certain places where that the end user w- lives so for example if you have if you're making athleisure and you know there's some popular like a uh what's that what's that popular website called body i think it's bodybuilders.com if you go to bodybuilders.com and then there's a thread about athleisure maybe you want to jump in there and ask questions and create a dialogue and, and eventually maybe try to get some of those people to become you know fans of, of the product before it launches but what's really important as well from a manufacturing standpoint is you have to have your supplier in place before launching your campaign and figure out what your pricing is going to be um mass um, so those are the basics in terms of you know getting your campaign to launch but yeah i mean that's not my area of expertise even though i work in that a lot um my business partner has more experience there but definitely check out nalin and, and enter china um cr- uh, crush cr- crowdfunding and enter china for more information on that but i would say a, a big thing is you got to have your manufacturing in place prior to launching the campaign it's a huge mistake that people make is they they forget about how expensive and how long the manufacturing is going to take place so like if you launch a campaign you don't know how much your mass production costs or are you don't know how much your final product is going to cost you might not raise enough money and you know crowdfunding campaigns these days are very expensive it's not 
it's not like it was before. You have to spend a lot of money to actually get funded. So it's really important to know as much as possible, try to lock down, you know, your supplier, try to know exactly what your per unit cost is, how many units you need to order from your supplier, what the minimum order quantity is. And then also figure out from the supplier, like, hey, if I actually raise more money than I need, you know, is that going to change the cost? Is that going to change the lead time? And then add, I would say, add a buffer when you're promising the the backers. Um, if your supplier says it's going to take five months or four months to do the mass production or three months to do the mass production and then a month for shipping, I would actually maybe double that lead time or add an extra couple of months because there's always, again, with original design, there's always things that come up every single time. I think every... I've worked with a lot of people that have launched crowdfunding campaigns for the original design. Even though we had our supplier ready and we had a very good prototype, when we actually went into mass production, there were problems that come up that we just couldn't anticipate. And that's just part of uh, manufacturing for original design. Wow. So it's always, and I'm finding that too, it's always uh, hurdles coming up or, you know, it's the first time that product's ever been made. So of course, yep. you know, you're going it'll be a lot of challenges. Now, this is also a very big question. Everyone has a, a unique design or something they want to get produced. How do you determine or do, can you tell if it's going to be profitable or if it's going to be a bad design? Like, how do you know if the product is going to do good or do bad or is it just a roll of the dice? Cuz every product, everybody has a good idea. Every every idea is not going to be this million dollar idea. I think, uh, I mean, I think there's two parts to that question. I think the first part is what I discussed before in terms of if you, before you do a product launch, you should be trying to communicate with your potential buyers, as many of them as possible. I think in the entertainment program, they say you have to talk to at least a hundred. And then after you, as in, after one-on-one conversations with at least a hundred, and then if if it comes out 50-50, then you need to talk to another 100. So you want to see that the majority of the people that you talk to about this product are going to buy this product or are really excited to buy this product. I think that's the, the one way you can sort of assure that that there is an actual demand for this. I think from the manufacturing side of things, the best way to know if the product is going to be successful is to try to get suppliers involved early in the design process. There's one aspect of designing a product that looks nice and functions well. There's another aspect of designing a product that can be made, can be manufactured by a factory. It's, there's, it's two different skill sets, right? Like it has to be practical for production in a factory. It can't just be, you know, something that if it's not, then you're either going to end up with a lot of problems down the line or it's going to be extremely expensive to make because it'll have to be like, let's say handmade or cut by a CNC machine rather than being able to mass produce it with a mold. Can you give us uh, any products that you work with that are now like doing pretty good that the viewers can go and check out? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Rider Buds, they had their motorcycle headphones. We just shipped those out. They had a successful crowdfunding campaign early last year and then we shipped those out in January 
from what they from what we've told been told every everything's good the, the people that are using them are really happy the only thing that stopped us from doing another mass production run has been covid-19 so the owner of the company is kind of waiting to collect more feedback and before we jump into another mass production what was the we name of that product one more time rider buds okay they're like motorcycle headphones one of our longest clients is uh hella fitness they do crossfit equipment they're based in hawaii so that's hella like h e l e fitness it's that's been an interesting one because when they first approached us i think it was literally just like one or two guys who were selling stuff out of their you know their house and they had like a gym and now they have the and this they were based in hawaii only now they have a branch in brazil they have a branch in japan or korea rather i think they're expanding to turkey as well so they went from doing like one mass production every 3 months to like four production runs simultaneously every month you know it's like it's kind of crazy to see that that growth we've done mass productions for Cirque du Soleil um LED LED balls for Cirque du Soleil we also did some beach towels for the Hamilton Hamilton play which was kind of kind of random but um yeah we 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 worked with a, a lot of big companies um so yeah that's just a, a couple of examples wow that's very impressive very impressive so a lot of my viewers they do have products and they want to get them made tell them what steps they need to go through to start getting their ideas manufactured most of them are who I talk to are original design mhm what well, at what stage would they be at? like just what they just literally have oh, like you know, something either, most of them don't have any designs or or bare minimum design okay so i would say the first thing that i would do if i just had barely any design i would see if i could try to get a product designer to make something simple like a simple 2d or 3d mock up not don't even spend that much money and then what i would do from there is i would start to try to communicate with potential consumers for that product and obviously you can start with friends and family but friends and family are always going to they're they're a little bit biased so you really want to go to wherever it is whatever blogs whatever reddit threads whatever forums the or facebook groups or linkedin groups that you know are relevant for your product go there and say hey guys i have a concept you know at least introduce yourself or get ingratiated into the community but eventually be like hey i have a product what do you guys think of this would is this something that you guys would be interested in do you have any feedback on the design or anything, you know things like that and then try to take the conversation off of that group and then maybe try to get a one on one conversation whether it's you know via zoom or you know whatsapp or facebook messenger like just try to pick their brain and create you can even just create a google form have it be a simple you know 3 4 5 questions you know give them like hey would you like it in this color in one of these three colors would you like it in one of these three materials how much would you pay for this product would you pay 50 would you pay 70 dollars would you pay 100 those kind of so i know once you start to collect that data you'll have a better idea of how to design your product better you have a better idea of how much you could sell the product for so then you have a, a rough idea of you know how what are your maximums or minimums for mass production cost from that stage i would then double back with a designer and try to get an actual 3d rendering or cad file produced at least the initial one and then i would start to contact suppliers 
um, get feedback on the design and you probably have to make some changes. As I mentioned, it's one thing for a design. And if, unless you find a designer that's familiar with the design for manufacturing process, it's one thing to design something. It's another thing for a factory to make it. So as soon as you have a decent designer, I will start to talk to suppliers. And, and if you're confident that, you know, there's, there's a demand for that in the market, create a landing page so you can start to collect emails. And then, you know, you start to go through the, the DFM process that I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast. That's awesome. You basically just described uh, the beginning part, at least, was primarily market research and doing good market research. Yeah, I mean, it's going to save you a ton of money. It's just the reason why most people don't do it is because it takes a long time, right? Yeah, to I was sit, just going to ask to how, about how long does it take to do that market research or is it it's just an ongoing process? Well, I mean, it's an ongoing process, but I'm saying the initial conversations, I, I mean, that's ours, right? Like, because you're, right. you're probably going to sit in multiple forums and, and uh, subreddits and you know, Facebook groups and talk to people about this product. And I mean, depending on how niche it is, you know, you could be talking to hundreds of people, you could be talking to 50 people. And then the, the more important thing, like I said, is you need to kind of have one-on-one -on -one conversations with these people. I think at the beginning, the, like if you literally just have the concept, I think the most important thing would be to see if there is an actual interest in it. You don't necessarily have to hop on a, a Zoom call with 100 people at that stage. I think at that stage, you want to see, would you buy this product? Yes or no. How much would you pay for this product? What aspects of this product design would you change? Or what aspects do you like? What aspects do you don't like? That, that, those are like the most important questions at that stage. And then when you start to get into like really you know, discussing with the factories and, and creating prototypes and stuff like that. I think that's when you should start to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your potential, potential customers. But yeah, I mean, that's just you sitting at a, no one else can do that, right? Like unless right. you, unless you're, you know, some giant design company or some company like Apple that has a, a dedicated R and D team, like you have to be the person to contact a hundred different people and have those conversations and collect that data. And, you know, so it takes time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm pausing this cause I'm digesting the information that this podcast, yes, it's a podcast for content and uh, information, but I'm learning as much as my uh, viewers and listeners, man. And I'm very honored that you agree to uh, hop on the show with me. Last question before we wrap this up, would it be uh, what's the difference between doing business in China and the U.S.? One of the main differences is that in, in the U.S. and Western culture as a whole, if you want to work with a company, people make quicker decisions. They will do their own background research before they contact you. You might have, if you're physically in the States, you might have one sit-down meeting and discuss all the details, or you might hop on a, a phone call or a Zoom call, or whatever, especially now, to discuss all the details and then send a contract and get started a couple of days later. Whereas in China, it's more of like, you have to develop a strong relationship before anything happens. So they wanna see you in different situations, they wanna see you in the factory, they wanna see you in an office, they wanna take you out to a restaurant, they wanna take you out to a bar, so, so they they really, really want to I would have thought like, the opposite. No, it's not. I mean, if you're if you're if you're actually developing a real relationship with the factory, then yeah, right. like 
it's gonna it's gonna take some time. As a buyer, of course, you can contact a, a factory in Alibaba and send them money the next day. That's that that can happen. But like, you're not really gonna have a relationship. You're just gonna be customer X. Uh, but if you want to develop a, a good relationship with the factory, you do have to put in the time. I think another aspect is Chinese expectations versus Western expectations are quite different. So you know, with the U.S you're thinking as the customer, this company or this service provider is going to go above and beyond to make me happy. Whereas in China, they don't look at it like that. They look at it like, yeah, okay, we want to make you happy. But at the same time, you need to like, you need to respect me and you need to like not put too much pressure on me. So a lot of times when things go wrong in China, blaming the factory or getting angry with the factory kind of backfires. What you want to do is focus on creating mutual solutions and not necessarily making them feel like they fucked up so badly. Whereas like, obviously again, in the, in the West, like they're losing if, a customer I, because you will lose a customer. Yeah, exactly. In the West, <laughs> if you, if you don't like, if you as a service provider doesn't, you know, jump up and say, Hey, I'm so sorry. And like, you know, we'll, we'll fix everything. You know, you end up losing a customer, but in China it's like, yeah, well, this is how we do business and you have to adapt to, to the way the Chinese market works. And, and then, of course, the, lang- the language barrier. I think a lot of times people can think that Chinese people are very rude or uh, straight to the point. But a lot of that has to do with the structure of Mandarin. Like in, in Mandarin, as a, as a stru- in their sentence structure, there's very few conjunctive words. So they are quite direct in the way they speak. It has nothing to do necessarily with the, the, the culture. It's just the language. Right. Well, that's very, very insightful. And Rico, I'm like I said again, man, I definitely want to work with you on some future projects. Uh, I have a lot of people who need your service, and I feel like I'm the perfect person to, you know, connect the the businesses. And that's pretty much all the questions I have. So tell the viewers where they can find you at. Yeah, so if you want to find me, that's uh, you can go to sourcefinasia.com slash contact us my personal my email is rico at sourcefinasia.com we have a youtube channel as well it's sourcefinasia all one word and then the podcast is the media channel hey what's up guys thanks for listening to this episode of the media channel podcast if you want to reach out to us that's podcast at sourcefinasia.com if you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched that's sourcefinasia.com slash made in china and be sure to also check out our youtube channel sourcefinasia all one word. Cheers.